Um, one of the songs we just sang, uh, Raise a Hallelujah, the first one we sang today, if you do not know the story behind that song, I would encourage you to just Google it, the story behind Raise a Hallelujah, on how that song came about. It's a fascinating story um, that I think you'll, I think you'll, uh, I think it'll really bless you. Um, Okay. Uh, I want to remind everybody that this coming Saturday, this Saturday, coming Saturday is the 31st, and we're having our uh, water bottle giveaway at Switchyard Park. Uh, so make sure you've got that down on your calendars. We're going to be loading up the coolers in vehicles here at about probably 10 o'clock. We'll load up the coolers in vehicles. And if you can help load or help transport the coolers, the canopies, the prayer tables, so forth, let us know, and we will, um, uh, so kind of give us an idea uh, who's coming to help load. And then we will meet at Switchyard Park at 11 o'clock to set everything up. Uh, we plan on being there, giving away ice-cold water to hot, sweaty uh, uh, park goers. So uh, we'll plan on being there probably till about four o'clock, but that depends on how long the water holds out. If we run out earlier, we're not going to just stand there, uh, but uh, we'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll plan on being there till about four. Love to have you come out and join us. When we've done this before, it's been a lot of fun. If you can't be there for the whole thing, that's fine. Come out for whatever you can be there for uh, and just have a blast. If you would like to help us man the uh, free prayer table that we're going to have set up a little bit off to the side, then let us know so maybe, you know, we might get an idea of, of a, some kind of a loose schedule on that depending on who wants to uh, man it and kind of give us an idea so that we can give everyone who wants to give them an opportunity to, uh, to man the table. So uh, that's this Saturday. Load up here at 10 set up at 11, uh, and plan on having fun. Um, one of the ways that we worship around here is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. Uh, it's one of our ways that we show our love to God, and if you have your tithe and offering, that you, if you brought it with you today, then on your way out today, there are black boxes by each of the entrances. It's uh, just... Uh, um, drop it in the slot at the top of the box, uh, or if you prefer in another way, or a website, and give electronically, that's bloomingtonvineyard.com, look for the give button, walk through the prompts, or mail a check to our post office box, uh, any one of those, and uh, will help us to worship. So let's, let's pray. Father, as we're looking into your word today, we're looking into John's first epistle. Open our eyes to see what you'd have us to see. Open our ears to hear what you'd have us to hear. Open our hearts that your word would change us would transform our hearts. We want to be more like Jesus. 
We want Christ formed in us. That's our prayer. We open ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in our third week. <clears throat> excuse me. We're in our third week of our study of the first of the Apostle John's three epistles. Or epistle just means letter. These are letters that the Apostle John wrote. Hopefully, you've been reading and studying along as you're on your own uh, as well at home. Uh, uh, that's how we really will get the most out of this, because the more you read uh, through this short book, or any passage of Scripture, really, for that matter, the more you begin to notice certain things. And one of my goals in doing this, and going through this book, is not just to give you information to write down and, and you know put away somewhere. It's not just for information. It's to help us to learn how to get more out of our time of sitting down and just reading or studying the Bible. And when you do that, one of the things that you want to look for when you read, or, or not just read, but when you study Scripture, one of the things you want to look for as you, as you uh, study a book of the Bible is repetition. When the author of a book repeats a thought or idea or maybe a word or phrase, that's always something to take note of. We see that here in 1 John. We mentioned that there are, are three recurring themes that John just keeps coming back to throughout this letter, and throughout this short book. And those themes, as we said, are the incarnation of Christ, our love for our brothers and sisters, particularly those who are in need, but really just all our, our, our love for our brothers and sisters, and the relationship between sin and those who are the children of God and how we can know if we're really children of God. So those are three recurring themes that, that you just keep running into, just keep seeing as you read through this letter. Uh, so as we read today's passage, keep an eye out for any one of those themes, okay? Again, they're the incarnation of Christ, our love for our brothers and sisters, relationship between sin and those who are the children of God. So look, let's look at, at uh, our passage today, starting in 1 John 2, uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 3. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth's not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word... Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. And yet, I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in Him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Now, who can tell me which of the three keys do we see here? Which of the three key themes? Love for brother and sister. Love for brother and sister, exactly. 
It's, we, we, we see it here. And we've talked about the other two themes so far, and this time we have this one showing up. Uh, now, I want to remind you of the context that we're dealing with here. Throughout this letter, John is dealing with the issue of false teachers. As he writes, he contrasts the falsehood of what they were teaching as well as how they were living with the truth of the true believers. Okay, Remember, there were false teachers that were a part of their community of faith, and they uh, started teaching heretical things, mainly that, that you know Jesus did not really come in the flesh, and they took a group and left from them and uh, started their own little community, so to speak, and they were trying to get others to come along. Well, um, uh, uh, they, 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 these, uh, uh, these false teachers were claiming to be teaching the truth, but in reality, their teachings were heresy. And not only were they not teaching truth, they weren't living it either. I mean, there's a stark contrast between how they were living and how the community of faith to which this letter was written, uh, uh, how they were living. So as John writes to counteract the false teachers, um, he lays out what genuine community of faith, a genuine community of faith, a genuine uh, community that's centered around Christ, what that looks like. And this is how we know truth from falsehood, not just by looking at their doctrine, that's very important, but also by looking at their community. So the question this morning is, when genuine community takes place, what does it look like? And John gives us several marks of genuine community. The first thing is, it's marked by obedience to God. They're doing the things that God has said to do. They're living the way that God has told them to live, the way that Jesus lived. Let's read, starting in verse 3, it says, We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. As believers, our community is centered around the person of Christ, so it starts there. Without that, we don't have true community. Everything about the life of the church community is centered on knowing God. Without that, we're not a church, we're just a social club. Uh, so how do, we know, how do we know that we know God and that he's the center of everything? Well, if we keep his commands, that's the evidence. If we do what he says, if we live like Jesus lived. The community of Jesus' followers is a community where people are living like Jesus lived and like he told us to live. And, you know, sometimes we think of obedience, we tend to think in terms of obligation, you know, something we have to do. But, you know, when we think like that, we totally miss the blessing in obedience. You know, John 15, 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. That abiding in his love is a promise for us. And it's his love then that empowers us to keep his commands. And that's what we see in a genuine community of faith community of people who are keeping his commands because they're abiding in his love, and that leads us to the next mark of a 
genuine Christ-centered community. Second thing is, it is marked by love. Genuine Christian or Christ-centered community is marked by love. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness, walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Love is the culture of centered community. It emanates from its very core and radiates throughout the entire community. If you take that away, there is no true community. That is so core, so basic, and that we take it for granted sometimes, but we need to look at it and we need to really consider what this is saying, how essential it is that we love the community of faith. Now, in Matthew 24, Jesus talks about signs of, uh, of the end times, all right? Sign, what, what it's going to be like when we get to the end times. And he says, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. See, people like to talk about, you know, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines in various places as a sign of the end times. You know, when we see the, the latest natural disaster happens, we, we you know, say, oh, it's, it's a sign of the times, or this war country is going to go to war against that country or so forth. You know, it's a sign of the end times. Well, actually, Jesus said that's only the beginning of birth pangs, only the beginning and, and that. So, uh, uh, but what I think we ought to look at, instead of just looking for all of that, I think there's an even greater sign. And the greater sign is an increase of people teaching things that are directly contrary to Scripture, false prophets, false teachers, the kind of thing that John was dealing with here, an increase of people teaching things that are directly contrary to Scripture, and an increase of people whose love has grown cold. Just take a look at our culture in the last 20 years. The last, the last 20 years, there has been a proliferation of teachings contrary to what Scripture te- uh, um, clearly teaches. And certainly, our culture certainly has not been one that you could say is growing in love. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not been growing. We're surrounded by more animosity now than ever. And, and, and that, that's just, you know, that's a clear sign to me. Now, I'm not saying, trying to say, oh, we're in the last few years or anything like that. You know, the end time started with the church age, when the church was born. The end, you know, the end time started back then, okay? So we are in the, the, the last days Okay, but then there are the last of the last days. And when that is, I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody has a clue. But there are signs that we can look at, and it's like, yep, that, that looks like a sign. 
Now it could be it's still a long way off as far as we're concerned, and, and it could be uh, that things are even going to get worse and worse and worse. It's hard to imagine sometimes, but it's the way it is. Uh, but when we talk about love in the Christian community, so it's a love of many will grow, of most, it says, will grow cold. When we talk about love in the Christian community, we're talking about two things. The first thing we're talking about is love for God. Love for God. The greatest of all commandments that God has given His people in the Old and New Testaments is to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. That means everything that is in us is to love God. If we, tru- if we don't truly love God, then there is no Christian community. If love for God grows cold, then community is in danger of ceasing to exist. So the first part of this is a love for God. We need to keep that burning in us. We need to be continue to be passionate about our love for God. Second part is love for God's children. Now, follow me on this. Jesus clearly taught that we are to love everyone, right? Clearly taught we are to love everyone, no exceptions. To love our neighbor, he taught us to love our neighbor. That's the second greatest commandment, and, the, and you know it's an extension of the first one. If we can't love our neighbor without first loving God, and uh, uh, he, 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 he taught us that. And then in the, par- in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he defines our neighbor as anyone. Anyone you come across is your neighbor. So Jesus explicitly says that we are to love, even, uh, uh, love our neighbor, love everyone, even our enemy, and that we are to pray for those who persecute us or, quote-unquote, despitefully use you, as the King James says. We're to pray for that person, and we are to love them. But in this letter, in 1 John, John is specifically referring to other believers who are in community with us. We are love everyone, yes, but this is specifically addressed or talking about those who are in community with us, our brothers and sisters in Christ we fellowship with, we share our lives with. He says if we think we love God, we think we're walking with Jesus, and we think we love God, but don't love our brother or sister. We're not walking in the light at all, because you just can't do that. We're still walking in darkness. We're, we're, we're just fooling ourselves. But what does that look like? You ever thought about that? What does that love look like? Does it mean that Everyone gets along all the time, that no one ever disagrees with somebody else, and, oh, we just have these warm, fuzzy feelings all the time toward everybody in the fellowship. Is that what it looks like? No. At least that's not the picture that the New Testament gives us. In the New Testament, there are some very heated disagreements recorded in the Scripture, in the church. You know, you've got Paul and Barnabas. They disagreed so much over over whether John Mark was going to go with them on this trip that they split up and went different directions. That's a heated disagreement. Now, they reconciled later on. We know that because at one point, you know, Paul's writing one of his letters and he says, oh, by the way, you know, bring John Mark with you. He's valuable to me. 
you know, and, and so it, it lets us know that there was reconciliation, and that's good, which <coughs> which should, you know, give us some hope because, you know, when we have a, a, a relationship that's strained, there's hope for reconciliation. There's always hope for that. Um, so it doesn't mean warm fuzzies. It doesn't mean always dis, always agreeing with everybody. You also got uh, in Philippians, I think it's chapter 4, Yodia and Syntyche. You know, Paul said, writes the church and he says, hey, help these two sisters to get along. They've, they've been a major help to me. They've been strong workers in the gospel, but help them to get along and, you know, quit their arguing, as he, he's, he's telling them. And, uh, 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 you know, the thing is, there are some heated disagreements recorded in the New Testament, but they still loved each other. You can love someone and disagree with them. So love isn't about warm fuzzies. It's not about always getting along. Then if that's not it, then what is genuine love in a community? Let me give you five things that love does in genuine Christ-centered community. So I'm not on your outline, so it won't be on the screen. Uh, so you might want to jot them down if you want or put them notes uh, in the notes app on your phone or something. Or um, Let me know this week and I can get them to you. First thing it does, love makes allowances for others' faults and shortcomings. It makes allowances for other fa- others' faults and shortcomings. Everybody has faults. None of you always does the right thing. None of you is always perfect. I don't always do the right thing. I'm not always perfect. You may think your spouse is perfect. It's a good thing she's not here. You may think your spouse is not, I mean, is, is perfect, but I got a, you know, newsflash for you. She's not, and neither are you, okay? Love gives people a break when they mess up. Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Okay, so make allowance for each other's faults. That's what allow. That's that's what what love does. Second thing that love does is that love overlooks an offense. Love knows how to overlook an offense. Let me give you quickly three verses. You can write them down, or just write down the references if you want, and then look them up at home. Proverbs ten twelve. Proverbs ten twelve says, "Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs." Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. It's kind of like similar to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says, Love keeps no record of wrongs, right? 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. So three verses there that all talk about love covering an offense, covering over sin, love overlooking an offense. Third thing, love is sensitive to others' feelings and situations. It's sensitive to others' feelings and situations. situations. 
Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 says that in humility, we are to value each other above ourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each, each of you to the interests of others. So value others above ourselves, and don't just look at our own interests, but the interests of others. And the next one, the fourth one, we see in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, where it says, Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. In other words, love always assumes the best about someone. Or you could say it like this, love gives the benefit of the doubt. You know? We get so much trouble when we try to judge someone's motives. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. It assumes the best about someone. It doesn't assume that, that what they did was motivated by this wrong thing over here or whatever. It assumes the best. Assumes that they have pure motives, even when they don't. It, 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 is, it, it gives them the benefit of the doubt. Fifth one. And this is so important. When love disagrees, it does so with grace and civility. Love disagrees with grace and civility. Colossians 4, 6, let your, let your conversation, you're talking among each other, your, your dialogue with each other, the things you say, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Salt is a preservative. We are to preserve truth. So it's full of grace. It's seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Those two things. It's not just sometimes we like to take truth and just, you know, beat somebody over the head with it. No. You speak truth, you know, we're seasoned, our, our conversation is seasoned with salt, with that preservative uh, uh, of truth. It's seasoned with salt, but it's always full of grace. How many know that you can say something to someone, if you say it one way, it's going to get a st strong reaction back. If you say it another way, full of grace, it's a lot more palatable. It's a lot more, they're, they're able to receive it better. And then 1 Peter 2.17 says that we are to show proper respect to everyone. Not just our friends. Not just to those who are on the same side of an issue as we are. But everyone. That's what love does. That's how love works. That's how a genuine community of believers loves. John was reminding the church of this because that's not how the, those with, in the group with the false teachers was acting. False teachers that went out, that's not how they were acting. So he was telling the community, he was contrasting that with the community of believers he's writing to, and, and, and he's, 
he's telling these things. This is how you can tell what genuine Christian community is. It's what love does. It's how love works. That's how a genuine community of believers loves. This way. The third thing we see in a Christian community, first was marked by obedience. Second, it's marked by love. The third, it's marked by selflessness. Selflessness. Chapter 2, verse 10. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Now, what this is saying, because you could look at this two different ways, but what this is saying is, if I love my brother or sister, I'm not going to be doing something that's going to make them stumble, that's going to offend them. Okay? Let's read it again. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them, the one that's walking in love, that's living in the light, there's nothing in them to make them, their brother or sister, stumble. If I'm walking in the light and I love my brother and sister, I'm not going to be doing something that's going to be an offense to them or make them... doesn't mean that offenses don't happen. Scripture is very clear that, that, that uh, offenses are bound to happen. They're going to come. But if I'm seasoning my conversation with salt and, you know... And, and speaking in grace, if, I, if, I, if I'm watching the way I talk, if I'm watching the things that I'm, you know, that I'm doing, then they may get offended by truth, but it's not because I prevented, presented it in an offensive way. You, know, you get that? It's not because I presented it in an offensive way. So, um, Apostle Paul talks about a similar thing here kind of a similar idea in Romans 14, if you read that, where he basically tells us that rather than asking, am I allowed to do that? As I, am I, as a Christian, can I do this? Do I have the freedom to do this? Am I allowed to do that? I should instead consider, could my doing this cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble? I may have the freedom to do this, but if I do, is that going to make this person over here stumble? Are they going to have a hard time with it? If the answer is yes, then Paul says it'd be better off to just forego whatever that thing is. Instead, a lot of times what we see is people flaunt it in the name of, I have freedom for this. But he says, it's better to forego what that is. That's real love. That's true selflessness. And that's what we find in genuine community. When people think about others first, what they need, what they feel, what they're going through, we spend our lives doing that. Worrying, you know, not worrying, poor choice of words, but... Um, being concerned about others' needs first and putting them first, God will take care of our needs. That's a beautiful thing about the church. When you're thinking of others, 
and tending to their needs. There's always someone thinking about you and praying for you, and you'll have someone helping you. Several years ago, some of you may remember, there's a worship leader named Don Moen. I know he's kind of old school, but how many remember him, Don Moen? Remember when he came out with the song, uh, it's on his album, Uncharted Territory. It's a it's, uh, song, Somebody's Praying For Me. Anybody familiar with that song? Somebody's Praying For Me. That's one of the benefits of participating in the life of a church community. You have people who care for you. You have people who are praying for you. Not just when you, you know, email the church with a prayer request and say, would you pray for this, would you pray for that, you know, not just then but at times when you don't even realize it. You'll never know. When you're plugged into a church community and you're, you're sharing your, the, the, the life of Christ, you're sharing it with, with a community of believers, you'll never know how many times or how often the Lord will put you on somebody else's heart, somebody else's mind, and they'll just start praying for you in supporting you in prayer. Now, sometimes they tell you. Drop a card in the mail. Hey, just want to let you know I'm praying for you. You know? Sometimes you never know. We don't even realize it. But you can leave here today knowing that somebody's praying for you. That's what genuine Christian community looks like. It's people doing the things that God has told us to do, living the way that God has told us to live, that God created us to live, living like Jesus. It's people loving God and loving each other from the heart and in truth. It's people living selfless lives, asking, what can I do for others? rather than what can others do for me. You know, what was it, the, the, the quote from John Kennedy? Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Great quote. Sometimes we're like, okay, what, what's someone going to do for me? When in reality it's like, no, what can I do for others? Jesus came here to model what he could do for others. He came not to be served, but to serve. And, you know, our water bottle giveaway Saturday is about that. What can I do for others? How many have ever been to the park and on, a, on a hot day and you're thirsty or the kids are thirsty? It's really a problem when they're really little and can't understand, sorry, I don't have a lot of water with me. Times when we've done this in the past, we've always run across someone it's like a parent with a small child. Oh, thank you so much. My child's been, you know, just um, um, crying for something to drink. They're so thirsty. And there was nothing around. There was nothing around. And, and, and then out of nowhere, you guys came with the ice-cold water. It's a way that we can serve the community, thinking about their needs, not our own giving our time to serve others. God has given us church because his plan for us is to live in genuine community. We are the body of Christ. 
And that's what genuine community looks like. And it's not all warm fuzzies and, you know, it's, it's not everyone always agreeing. Where there are disagreements, we work it out among ourselves. Warm fuzzies come and go, but genuine love and concern for others stays. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that when I look at what a genuine community of faith looks like, when I look at John's letter here, the things I see, I see in this church. I thank you that this is a church that knows how to love. A church that's desiring and working on living the way that Jesus taught us to live. We look at the Word of God and we say, okay, how can I live this out in my life today, here, and now? I thank you for the selflessness that I see in this community of believers. And Father, I thank you that, that, that you know, your word tells us in Philippians 1.6 that you started the work in us, that you will continue the work and bring it about to completion until the day Jesus Christ comes back. You are working in our lives, and I thank you for that. Continue that, Lord. Continue to draw us closer to you and to shape us as individuals and as a church body to shape us to be more and more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, you have our permission and our free reign to you have our permission and free reign to work in our lives to remove the things that need to be removed and to impart the things that you want to impart. We're not here for ourselves. We are here for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Stand for the benediction. Take a receiving posture, whether that's holding your hands out or just opening your heart, however. But I'm going to give you a blessing. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Saturday.